I always start Chat of the Matters with a personal story. Now, why does this topic or guest matter to me? Well, today I'm going to take you back to my childhood and our family kitchen. My mom had to go back to work to keep a roof over our heads. I think around age 12, I took over making the family dinner. Now, if you've listened to my podcast before, you know my mom is the greatest gift that ever happened to me. She still is, even though we lost her many, many years ago. She had so many talents of work ethic, creativity, compassion, but she was a terrible cook. She could cook the juice out of a watermelon, so I didn't have a high bar to win over the family. We didn't have a lot of money, so fried bologna and pasta with cheese were part of our food budget. But with more money coming in, we could move from canned vegetables to fresh, chicken and beef for a stew. And I started to earn smiles and validation for my love for cooking. And it's been with me ever since. Today, we love to throw dinner parties where food teases a conversation. Or travel where you can tease an adventurous palate. One day I'll talk to you about China eating this delicious green dish and asking someone what kind of vegetable it is and they pointed across the path and it was weeds growing. Food means the world to me, but it can because I can afford to eat. I can afford to have it play that role and I'm one of the lucky ones. I just did some work with RBC on My Money Matters and one of the studies pointed that 40 to 50% of Canadians are living paycheck to paycheck and many are having to make the most difficult decisions Do I put fuel in my tank to get to work or food on the table? Food banks are being overrun and there's lots of finger pointing going on. People are even chasing Galen Weston for the price of bananas. And I know the farm to table supply chain is complicated. It's labor intensive, capital intensive, weather and world conflict related. I want to introduce someone that's helping many Canadians with their food insecurity. And I'm taping the show live at the Convenience Industry Council of Canada's National Summit. My guest is Jean-Francois Archambault, but for all who know, admire, and love him, he goes by JF. I have to tell you, today's show will bring you to tears and bring you to your feet with many standing ovations. It's a story about dreaming and doing and feeding millions of meals to Canadians in need, but also inspiring a young generation to have food autonomy, to create more and more healthy with less. And for some who are in danger of dropping out, to encourage these youth to pursue a career in hospitality. And it's also a love story between JF and his mom who battles cancer, but teaches him important lessons along the way. So let's now go to the conference floor and welcome the one and only JF Archambault to the stage. This is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. In the epicenter of Blue Blanc Rouge, what the hell are you doing in a Maple Leaf sweater? <laughs> we'll get to that, but I'm like... <laughs> I, I had to hide it on my way in. <laughs> like, I know you're busy, but you do know you're in Montreal. <laughs> so, Jeff, we're going to go... We have so much to unpack, and my show's about journeys, and we're going to really get to the material work, the Le Table de Chef, the Brigade, uh, Solidarity Kitchens are doing in, in this country, but I think it's important always that when we understand these people that are putting a dent in the universe... They're, 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 they see life as more than a dress rehearsal. That we go back and say, where did it all begin? And I want to go back to your, I think it's coming home from school where your kids are probably saying, you know, you're trying to grab a snack and go out and play sports. You hung around the kitchen. My mom was was a great cook. I, I can't say she wasn't. She she was. She was the best. Uh, and I, I, I would come back from school and head straight to the kitchen to know what we were having for dinner. She was at home and she was uh, helping my dad. My dad has a home practice. He was a lawyer. 
uh, and she was helping uh, helping him and uh, and preparing for for us to return from school. So we were privileged. We were a privileged family. We uh, I I grew up in Laval in uh, Champfleury. Uh, I actually was born in Montreal in Hansik. Um, and I, when I was one year old, uh, we moved to Laval. It was fields at that time. There was tree houses in Champfleury. Now there's yeah. more than 4,000 houses, and it's uh, it's changed. And the kitchen, like when when she invited you in, when did you start being fascinated, not just with, hey, can I lick the bowl, but yeah. the actual yeah, recipe and the creation? <laughs> I was always um, curious, uh, and I wanted to start, I wanted to help her. Actually, she was she was alone. We were all there, and she was always taking care of us and wanting to uh, to make to, to to make something, you know, create something. And so uh, she would she would start me on salads because you know that's you you can't really go wrong on on that side. And then she would talk to me about making things. I was she was great at desserts. I was never, and I still uh, I'm a I'm a cook. I'm not a pastry uh, pastry chef like I. My wife handles that part because she's an accountant and a lawyer, so she counts everything, and, and so she measures everything. She goes back to to it and makes sure she she did the right things and the step by step. Even yesterday, she she did an apple crust. It was unbelievable. We went running for five k with uh, Delphine, one of my daughter, and when we came back, we. We said it was untouched. She was sleeping because she put the twins to bed. And uh, Delphine and I are coming back from our 5K run. And we're like, hey, hot apple crust, you know. <laughs> the kitchen for me has always been this place where we gather. It's, it's the heart of a, of a house. Mm. It's the heart, yeah. heart of a home. So for me, I wanted to, it, that's where you live. And you it's know? fair to say you've got a big home. John Wright earlier was talking about 1.9 Kids per average family. You have about I seventeen, go, don't you? I go with five kids. Five kids. Good yeah. for you. Your dad, you mentioned it as a his practice, but he was also involved with culinary. My dad uh, was uh, the legal advisor to the chefs community of Quebec, so he was the lawyer of the Chefs Association of Quebec. So he would represent uh, more than six hundred chefs and cooks and help them manage their business. Uh, you know, on any part of their business, even family. Because uh, you know, when when you're a chef and you work so many hours, you know it, it breaks families, and and so uh, managing that divorce and everything, he would look after that. And um, so uh, he would he had a gastronomical club. Uh, he would attend and go there. He had like uh, things he would wear, special things he would wear for those dinners. I always find it was funny. It was a bit uh, it was a bit of circus, but but it was it was. I I managed to go there a couple of times, and uh, we always were surrounded by food and never miss food. When he invited you to these events, was there you know we, when I've talked to people that have left the Navy SEALs or or professional sports, they talk about the camaraderie, the community they miss the most. Did you feel that with chefs, even though they might work for different restaurants and stuff? It was a community. When I was uh, going to events with my dad, and I would. Meet chefs. I met Normand Laprise for the first time. I was 10 years old and uh, the restaurant was called the Citrus and it was with Monsieur Beausoleil. You would see the passion that they have, dedication, devotion and, and to their work and, and passion mostly and their generosity. I always was amazed by that, that passion and that generosity of giving them themselves whole. You know, they, they, they're all in. And so for me, when, when I was thinking about Bringing an army, you know, with mm. me on on the fight to food waste and 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 hunger and 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 food security, I thought that would be a great crowd to 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 mobilize. Just, you just know? because so of, yeah. for me it was okay. These guys they prep food, 
here's food waste, you know, and mm. it's generated not only by them, but like by the, by the cycle and the industry and, and the way the wheel turns. And for me, it was like, okay, these guys, they, they're either looking at it and not seeing it anymore, you know, and just, or just accepted it, not, not accepted it, but like, it's part of, yeah. it's part of a everyday, everyday life. When you first saw that though, this sense of food waste, it was really when you went to school though, right? You, now yeah. I'm curious, you took hospitality. Yeah. It, did, it wasn't planned like that. No, no. <laughs> did, did your dad kind of say, Hey, you should be a lawyer. You could take over my practice no. or. Well, I could have been a lawyer. I mean, I have pretty good arguments when I argue, and, uh, I, I, but, but, uh, I, was, I don't think your I was, wife, your wife said you've never won I wasn't won a one. really good reader. So, you know, when he told me I had to, to read the civil code, I was like, Oh, I, I stopped at the uh, article 1471, which is about the good Samaritan act. Yeah, yeah. I remember that one. Cause I, that's, that's what we're, we're, we're driving upon to, to, to recover food and in a safety zone. So, but for me, there's something hap- that happened when we were, so we're a family of, of five. So mm-hmm. I have an older sister and a younger brother. And uh, we would always go to, to Maine uh, on vacation. So my dad was closed his office from St. John Baptist uh, holiday to, uh, for, for a month and a half. And we would go with a ca- camping tent and, and we would leave for Wells and, and go there every summer. One summer in particular, uh, when I was 14, we would go there, and um, and uh, we were around the, fi- the fire. Uh, and uh, my my mom and dad said they had something to t- to tell us. And uh, my mom shared with us that she uh, she was diagnosed with uh, with cancer. Did you ever think? Because I mean, you and I had very similar parallels. Laval, both are, we lost our mothers quite young, but at the time. How do you internalize it at age 14? You don't. You just don't accept it. You just um, take it like a football hit. You know, it's like a middle of the field. You didn't see it coming. Side, boom. And, Did you, and were, so, you, were you amazed that she tried to take away your pain, even though she's the one that's dealing with the disease? It didn't. And at some point, you know, she fought for 10 years, all the way to 2000. She was given two years in the first place. And she, she changed her whole she was, we were eating very well, but she, she introduced organic. She introduced many things that really helped her, like food helped her to, to go through not two years, but 10 years and quality life for, I would say eight of of the 10 with the treatments period a month in, you know, a couple of months through there, that was pretty hard. She would come home and she would, she would sleep all day for almost a week after the treatments towards the end. It was really hard because I would have want to go on the, on the ring to fight that fight for her. And I, I would, I would have, and at some point, you know, she couldn't understand why I was so upset, you know, and why I had this anger in me when she was the one that's going to, that was going to die. One night she would come and say to my dad, what does he not understand that I'm the one who's going to die? I went berserk. I left the house and I, 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 I went uh, to the Laurentians. I went up a mountain. It was at night, went on the ski lift and I sat down on a look at the stars and just like, it was too much. The parallel track, which I think is important because they both come together, is four years before she dies, you're going to hospitality school. You're starting to see all the waste that's happening there. I mean, you're making, you know, as a class, you're making meals for 100 people. 
12 of you eat, you might bring some leftovers, but so yeah. much is getting thrown in. That starts to bother you, doesn't it? When I was um, 18, I was doing a technical degree. It's three years in, in business uh, at Wadbulan College. My dad is the head of the department, and I'm, I'm not going to class. I, I was going through a dark period, and I, I wrote a letter to two of my best friends. I had black thoughts. Like, I, I, I wasn't ready to, to go through with leaving this place, but I was giving myself a last chance. And it was really a last chance. And I was writing to my friends that this was my last chance and that I needed them. They shared this letter with my dad without me knowing. Imagine, good friends. <laughs> I think they were good friends. And my dad uh, got me down in his office. He was okay. Like, I thought he was going to be really mad. But he understood. And we had a great conversation. And uh, we went um, to the backyard. And we burned the letter together. It was pretty symbolic. I think he had his own letter, given the fact that he's losing the love of his life, that he probably understood you as, oh, I have five kids. And I, 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 we, you know, struggle sometimes, you know, as parents. But. I could not imagine him going through what he was going and, and on top having me not going well. You know, it's, it was heavy on him to go through with that thought. Like after that, it sparked me that I had to, to look in front. And, and what my mom would have want is me to succeed and to be happy. So we both knew we were going to lose her, um, but it kind of triggered something else. And then my dad said, instead of going not going to class anymore, just go and see someone that will help you to find your way. And I went to see someone and I did, I ran a test and I scored really, really high on hospitality. And that's how I, I couldn't go to ITHQ first because I wasn't going to my class. So my, my resume was not very good. <laughs> I could not make it on, on grades. So I had to prove that I, I changed my course and I really wanted to do that. So I went for a year and a half in Laurentians at, in St. Adele at, at the uh, hospitality school in St. Adele. And we had a country house. So imagine the trust almost on the line of leaving this place and yeah. having those black thoughts. Our parents need to, to be confident at some point, but close their eyes and just pray that everything's going to be okay. My parents let me go and spend a year alone in the country house and go to the school, to that school, without knowing if I was going to be okay. But I think they knew it was going to be the right path this time. And it was. It was. So for me, it was like being with people that understood me better. And it, it was so easy, easier to talk and make friends and just be myself. And so after that, I went back to say, okay, I worked in restaurants. I, I was a sideline working as a dishwasher at St. Subar Rotisserie. And then I, I went uh, to work in a restaurant in uh, uh, Le Menu Plaisir in yeah. St. Rose. Yeah. And I went to DTHQ for three years in the hotel management. I convinced them in an interview because my grades were not, still not. Uh, <laughs> Resume still them. wasn't there. But when I, they got me in, in an interview and I pitched them why and I knew now what I wanted to do. So I was pretty convincing. That's where I realized in the last year I was doing cooking uh, classes. So you go around hotel management, you go three years and you do uh, housekeeping. So. I handle making the bed very well at home and cleaning the, the washrooms and stuff and doing the mirrors. <laughs> mirrors is, is, is my, my one of my special Superpower. Superpower, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but through cooking, I realized that we were about 20, 25 students and we were prepping around 80 to 100 portions of everything. 
and we would eat. I, I manage eating two plates, three plates, no worries. But uh, uh, at some point, there's too much food. The chef would say, okay, let's wrap up. And wrapping up didn't mean to put into those containers like we would at home. It meant putting everything we had prepped for three hours in the garbage. And that, for me, was eye-opening. And the chef said, it's for food security reasons. Uh, you're doing food handling classes, too. You understand food safety. We don't want to poison anybody and people are not trained in the social sector to handle uh, that type of food and it's too risky. So we don't want to cause any reputation damage to the school if something would happen to someone that would get food poisoning or bureaucracy. Uh, yeah, exactly. You graduate and you become very early on. I think your first business is Fairmont. Chateau Vaudreuil. Chateau Vaudreuil. For two years. And you become quite a star. They realize that you're one of the superpowers you have besides cleaning mirrors is the fact you're a great connector. You're great with people. So that's happening. And then the Marriott recruits you, and you're about to go to Quebec City, your first real apartment. You're so excited about it. But let's bring your mom and hers together because I think it's all material that you were discussing with your mom near the end of her life, this horror of food waste. But at the same time, your career is taking off. And a lot of people whose career is taking off, you kind of lose all the things that are wrong to focus on your career. So bring that all together full circle. So in 2000, I'm working at the Chateau Vaudreuil. There's so much food that's wasted in all the banquets and the weddings and stuff. And I've, I've shared with the GM my uh, caring for taking some of that food to uh, shelters and people that need it. But without him wanting or budging on this, he didn't want to, he didn't, same thing, it's reputational. I accept a job at the Fairmont Tremblant. The day that I accept the job and I, I wanted to go to Tremblant, I wanted to work on a ski resort. My mom goes into the hospital for bone marrow transplant. It was the last chance. And she, uh, the oncologist, uh, brings our family together and he shares that, uh, you know, through the 10 years, she managed to, to extend. The body got damaged and, and there's not enough good to go through the battle. It was the end of the road. She died in May of 2000. She died home. It was nice. I had her last breath uh, in, in my arm. We were all together. It was a beautiful and, and calm moment. And then I started working in Tremblant, and I, I was pretty good. Like a year after, I became sales manager of, of, of the month, uh, beat the Shadow Montebello star that uh, won it for like 12 months in a row. You know, but again, food waste. I get friends with the executive chef, and I see in the kitchens my clients when I sell a conference. Like this, I see the food being wasted outside, and I'm like, I'm, crazy. I'm going crazy with that. I'm saying, I'm, I talk to the chef about it, and we talk with the GM. So it brings that back. And then I think my mom came back down and kicked me in the butt and say, what are you going to do about this? You know, I'm not here anymore. I can't do anything about it. You can. You're still here. Did she know about your dream Prior to that, was that something where you talked to her about when you came home? Not or? a lot. Not a lot, Not because, a lot. but she's inside you. And I get, oh. did you value time differently after she left? Because as a young, I know that I went from thinking immortality and time was infinite to day, to day. day by day. Day by day, yeah. I plan, but I, I try to enjoy every day to the fullest. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. We come back and chatter that matters. JF takes us inside the kitchens of hotels and conference centers and sports venues, and we look at how much food is wasted that could be repurposed as delicious meals. But he doesn't just think about it. He goes after one of the biggest games in town, the Montreal Canadiens and the Bell Centre. And as you soon learn, it's only the beginning. 
Tony Chapman from Chatter That Matters. I ask Canadians about their money matters. We talk debt, inflation, interest rates, and many were worried and some felt they could lose everything. In response, RBC has created My Money Matters. It's a site where you gain financial knowledge. You learn how to manage debt, reduce stress. There's even tools and apps to help you deal with the realities of today. Visit rbc.com slash money matters. Your financial well-being matters to you and to RBC. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. I'm chatting with Jean-Francois Archambault. Many of us dream of doing more with our life. Well, here's someone that does so much more. And we're recording this chat live at the Convenience Industry Council of Canada's National Summit. So you're at the uh, Fairmont in Tremblant, and part-time you decide that you're going to personally make this dream. And I'd love you to take it through, and if I've got the timelines right, you go in to see the president of the Montreal Canadiens to validate the idea. My dad played a, played a big role, too, because when I wanted to gather the Chefs Association and try to talk to them about the food recovery program I had in mind and validate it with them, I called Moisson Montréal, the Montreal Food Bank, and say, hey, guys, you're doing bulk food and pallet food and, and, and non-perishable food, uh, but you're not doing prepared food. And you can't bring prepared food to your warehouse and then dispatch it. You need to, to distribute it right away to, to the smaller shelters that serve homeless and people in need. So it needs to be a small connection. And yes, I, I am a connector, and that's, that's my number one skill. For me, it was a matter of creating this short circuit between hotels and, and shelters and with no intervention from the food bank, but know it, the food bank knowing and sharing with them what we were doing on the food security side. That's how it's, it started. And, and so my dad opened the door to bring the president of the Chefs Association. I got Moisson Montréal to come and that's how we created. In June 2002, we created La, La Table. The Table, table, des, chefs, which table is your... des Chefs. And then from 2002 to 2005, working for Fairmont, coming back down as a regional sales uh, director of sales for Eastern Canada for Fairmont, coming down to Montreal, getting an apartment in Laval, and, and then saying, we need to move this project, but voluntarily. In 2005, my first mentor was Giselle Desrochers. She was the uh, executive vice president of HR at the National Bank of Canada, an amazing woman. And so Grand Table was our first charity dinners. And with the first one we did was at uh, Moisson Montréal. We took the warehouse, we put tables, we got Normand Laprise, we got chefs, we had the uh, vice premier of Quebec. Everybody was there just to give the example. And we got trucks all the way to the tables just to sh- show after that all the food that was from our banquet. We had to show, you know, we walked the talk and we would have everybody put the food in the trucks and the trucks would leave from the warehouse from the, from the venue, like to take the rest of the food to people that need it. So the first table I sold was uh, to Tony Medi, who was the VP of uh, business development at the National Bank of Canada. And I went back to him the following year to get him as a chair for my fundraiser. He said, I can't do it. I'm involved with other causes, but I have Giselle uh, from our executive team that loves what you're doing and would love to do it. And she's the one who opened the door to meeting with Pierre Boivin. She knew that this was coming. And there was another, uh, Lorraine Fortier, who was at Alcan at the time. She was in charge of the executive suite of Alcan at the Bell Center. And she said, Jeff, it's so crazy the amount of food that's wasted in the Bell Center, you know, after the Montreal Canadiens game. I, uh, we take it from our suite and we bring it to the streets, to, to shelters ourselves, you know. And knowing that, you know, she said, 
said said to me, I'm going to create this ch charity board for you for the Grand Tablet. And so she got me like uh, Carole Italien from Bombardier. She got me a group and of people. And how old are you at this time? I'm 27 years old. So if you're not part of the Montreal community, these are some of the most powerful It was the big, big, like this big is, cheese. Yeah. This is the, this is the, I, I the still, today, today still didn't bring a group of such influential people together yeah. on my charity board. I have key people there, mind you. But, and I think that the reason why was that we needed to raise 150,000 and bringing all those people, one of them could have done them by themselves. And so like six of them together is like 150,000. That's nothing, she said, we'll do it. So, you know, we, we could have raised a million with them. But on a single morning, Giselle calls me and she says, Pierre wants to meet you next Tuesday. Pierre's the president of the Montreal Canadiens. At, at that time. At that time. He's yeah. now the CEO of Claridge. So he uh, gets me in his office at seven in the morning. Oh my God, I'm in the, pre I'm in the president's <laughs> office. It's like a dream come true, you know. And he, he, but he soon remember we're the reason why I'm here, you know. So he said, Jeff, there's too much food that's wasted here. If, if your program is what I've heard it is, we'll test it here. And so imagine, I had not recovered a single piece of food before because it was so hard, you know, knocking at doors of chefs saying, yeah, 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 sure, but then putting you back at the bottom of the pile, you know, it wasn't a priority. Food recovery was not a priority. Food waste was not a priority. Uh, the hotel industry, our industry, was reactive, not proactive on food waste. And Pierre was there allowing me to do it in the biggest venue in the city. You're a kid. You walk out of the office of the president of the Montreal Canadiens. He doesn't just like your idea. He gives you the hawk and says, me the go for it. <laughs> yeah. Now, most, most people that have a big dream like that might run to the dressing room. You went after it. For me, it, it was a chance to prove that it, 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 it works. If I'm able to do it there, I can do it anywhere. Sat down with Jill, shared with him my thoughts and, and vision. And then I was doing my MBA at the University of Quebec in Montreal, and I took an ops class, and I convinced colleagues to, there was a special project. It was the first social project, not business-oriented project, to be approved. Uh, and the teacher said, yeah, sure, do it. Integrating a food recovery process in such a building in such a, such a detailed-oriented So you business. use your fellow students as free yeah. labor There to develop go. the business plan. Yeah. So there's a bit of shamelessness in you as well. So, <laughs> so no, but I mean, I mean, everybody needs to be involved in their yeah. community. Imagine the hard part is sitting in the back, not watching the game and hearing the goals, but yeah. not seeing the game. That, that's, mm -hmm. the, that's the hard part. But seeing all that food and bringing Pierre in, in the walk-in fridge the first time with all the racks, all the pans, and opening the pans and seeing the food And I remember Pierre looking at me and he's like, this is it, JF. You know, when you look at five stars, four star hotels, hotel like this, anybody would eat leftover food from five star chefs. No? When you look at that and you know that there's so many food and, and there, there's so much food and you multiply the number of hotels that you know there is in, in these cities where poverty is and where food insecurity is uh, spiking. It doesn't make sense that we all take care of that. So how you know? did you get the chefs on board? Because they'd always say, I, I love this, but it was always something they felt important, but not urgent. They always pushed it back. How big, we won't even talk France, just in Canada, how big La Table, the chef, has grown and how many meals you serve from what was initially, I'm mad as hell that I'm seeing this teacher of mine throwing out this food. So the Bell Center 
first year was 100,000 meals to the Welcome Hall mission. Today, we're in over 200 establishments across Canada. Mainly in Quebec, we recover over 2 million meals annually. And about 300,000 outside Quebec and growing. Like, we'll hit a million within the next three years in Canada, outside Quebec. Coming from the hotel business, working for Fairmont, very processed organization. Marriott, you know, when you're, when you're running franchises, you, you, you have a playbook. Food recovery needs to be part of your playbook to, to make it work. If it's not there, your employees are not going to do it because there's so many other things to do. But when you look at the Bell Center now, it's, it's part of their job. It's, yeah. it's not even a thought. It's, it's part of what they do now. So if, and if there's no displacement, there's, if they're not working a half hour more. Did you ever take people from the Bell Center to the mission so they realize they that do. They do. They and do. that they must be such oh. an amazing thing. We just did. And, and, and I'll come to the story with the jersey, uh, Tony. But imagine 13 years after, and I joke with Jeff Molson on this. I'm working with Hellman's, okay? And Hellman's is looking for a social entrepreneur in Canada to work on a food, food waste campaign. Um, and they don't know who to choose. They're going through. <clears throat> I'm in Ashoka Fellow. So it's a social movement of social entrepreneurs across the world. And there's about 40 fellows in Canada, Dr. Julien. And there's many other fellow Canadian fellows. And, you know, Barb in, in Toronto at the head office gets a call from Hellman's. And, and she says, hey, it's, you need to work with JF. I'm on a call with uh, Hellman's, all their marketing people, Ogilvy, their agency, and Edelman. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm called La Table des Chefs, okay? And so my chances are, in my mind, pretty low. I pitch the project and I start talking about the Bell Center and what we're doing and start talking about what we did with Sidley. Uh, when Martin Gauthier, the CEO of Sidley, mm -hmm. calls me one day and he says, I want to serve at my Christmas party only recovered food uh, bites from chefs to show everybody that food needs to be valorized, you know, it needs to be, uh, and we did it, you know, it was pretty amazing. We didn't pay a dime. Food didn't cost anything. And he donated the money he would have spent on food to us instead. When I pitched that to Hellman's, I said, if I'm going to work with you, we need to go into the Scotiabank Arena and sign up the Leafs. It's been 13 years I've been doing it with the Montreal Canadiens. We would have fed a million people in Toronto if we would have started at the same time. Mm -hmm. They go through, they said, we have those connections, we'll work on it. And, and we went through a campaign. We did an activation at the BMO field. Mm -hmm. We took excess food from six Sobe stores and we fed a whole section of the stadium with free food. But food was made from excess food just to show that 47% of food is wasted in Canada while there's so much food insecurity. And that's where I met Chris Zielinski, the executive chef of the, of the Leafs at the MLSE. And we sat down together. They brought us together. We then worked with Second Harvest as a recovering agency, um, such a leadership organization in Toronto and Canada now everywhere. And so we worked together. But imagine the first game when we're implementing the program, I'm there at, uh, at the Scotiabank Arena. Everything is going well and we're so happy. Everybody's happy. And Chris is bringing me to the team. And then you have the marketing team there and they're coming with a bag. We have a gift for you take out out of the bag and this is this jersey <laughs> and i'm like oh thank you you know <laughs> and i'm like i'm keeping the jersey in the bag and i'm like no no Jeff. <laughs> you're wearing it tonight okay. so 
I'm I'm putting on the jersey and I'm taking pictures with Chris. You yeah. know, they're making so much fun out of me, you know. And so I'm there and and I get into an elevator and they're they're playing the penguins. And there's two penguin fans in the elevator. The guy is looking at me and he's like, there's no way you're a Leafs fan. I'm an undercover Habs fan. <laughs> so that that's it for the jersey. It's just and to, to tell you that once we got in and Chris shared that Robert Bartley, the executive chef of the Canucks in Vancouver, used to be his boss in Toronto and work with him prior to him becoming the executive chef. I said, Robert, I've been trying to get there. And he, you know, it's been so hard. So we took a picture together. We sent it to Robert and say, you're next. <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. And so after that, we signed the Rogers Arena in Vancouver and we signed the BC Place. And now we're with the Flames in Calgary back from back in February. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Joining me now is Jean-Francois Archambault. He's a social justice warrior and he's serving up so much good and for the good of the world. And we're recording this chat live at the Convenience Industry Council of Canada's National Summit. I want to also share with the audience the pandemic hits. Yeah. There's no arenas. And you create the solidarity kitchens. So I was scared food was not going to be available. So imagine you're, you're getting 2 million meals in the community one day and then everything stops. So where are those 2 million meals are going to come if they're needed, you know, when you know they're needed, you know that through the pandemic, food insecurity is going to go up. And then I was seeing like, there were talks about the army and like, you know, we weren't sure what was going to happen. We need to get meals done, prepared, frozen, ready for distribution. So if army is taking over some places, they have access to ready to serve meals and they can distribute it to the community. So in my mind, I was like, okay, we need to go into some of the biggest kitchens and we need to go at it for like a month and prep as many meals as we can. I am good friends with the executive chef of the Queen Elizabeth uh, Chateau Frontenac and the Bell Center. Now Yves Lowe is there at, as the executive chef. They're all like not op operating. I'm like, guys, are you open to making your kitchen accessible for social projects? And of course, Jeff. There's nothing we're doing right now. And so I was looking at the wage subsidy. And the way it was set up was that if you applied for it, you could get 75% to pay your staff if you were keeping your staff. It was 25% missing if you had lost more than 30% of your business. And they all qualified, like all the hotels qualified. To me, it was like, hey, guys, keep your staff and they'll work for La Table. Let's set up a program where I'll pay the 25% missing. So you're able to, to collect the 75%. i am donating through the program a dollar a meal. We organized a dollar a meal program where for every meal prep, I would give them a dollar and then the rest I would provide for them. So all the containers, all the food that was donated, we got uh, more than 600 tons of food donated to us that was normally going through the, the hospitality sector. Mm -hmm. A lot of potatoes, a lot of eggs, you know, uh, all the morning stuff like breakfast and hotels are really big. So potatoes, eggs, uh, onions, like we, and then we got like chicken, we started committing 
some of the biggest uh, hotels. So we called Ivano Cambridge that owns the Queen Elizabeth and the Chateau and said, what are you doing for the pandemic? And said, just make sure your kitchen is accessible through that program. And they gave the, the green light to both hotels. And I knew these kitchens were the largest in their cities. So, and I knew through talking with the chefs that they had the capacity to prep 25,000 meals a week each. So 50,000 meals a week. Eve at the Bell Center could do about the same. How many meals did you serve going from zero to, sounds like a thousand miles an hour? The highest we were, uh, we were doing 150,000 meals a week. We had up to 60 restaurants uh, or operation, kitchen operating for us, 60 kitchens. Wow. And we, we caught the attention of Minister Bibo at Agriculture. She was there then. And we got into the emergency meal program uh, with the Breakfast Club of Canada and, and all, all the other guys in Food Banks yeah. Canada. We got in for funding and she wanted me to scale the program across Canada. So we took our kitchens at MLSC. So I called Chris. I say, Chris, what can you do? You want to take over 200,000 meals? I'm sending you this stuff. So we batch cook, like we said, okay, let's do shepherd pie. Let's do 200,000 portions of uh, shepherd's pie. Let's do frittata. Let's do 200,000. So then we, when we gathered those donations, we called to get the supply chain going. And then we connected with GFS uh, at first. And Gordon then so, service, so yeah. Base, yeah. So Base came in as a distributor. Yeah. Uh, to help us pro bono. So we were sending all our donation there to get the Has meals. Has anybody ever said no to you? Yes, but I, 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 I keep staying in their faces. So, <laughs> so I want to just... I'm come, I always come back. You yeah. know, when I know that there's something that doesn't make sense and that the person can help me, I'll find a way. If it's not me saying it to him, there'll be someone else that yeah. knows it better than me. You know, we're, we're talking millions of meals and we're talking 150,000 a week and some big numbers. But in a couple of minutes, describe something where I think is truly game-changing, which is the brigade. Everything we've talked about is needed now, but we need to prepare the next generations. I joined the executive board of Moisson Montréal when I was 24 year, 25 years old. I was reading through all the documents and everything, and there was a study that was shared by, by Public Health of Montreal and the head of the public health agency of Montreal was on the executive board with me. And it was the loss of culinary skills and knowledge from generation to generation. And, and in particular, in, in, in high poverty areas. I knew the chefs were behind and were going to be behind the food recovery program and with us. But I knew on top, they were most passionate about sharing what they had the passion for is, is food. So I knew that it was, I was going to be connecting them in schools that we could get that going in, in high poverty index high schools and use the old OMEC class that wasn't used anymore because they took out OMEC in Quebec and everywhere in the country except in BC. I took back those spaces and we started in four of the poorest high school in Montreal, in Saint-Henri, Ashtagamaisonneuve, um, and in Saint-Michel, uh, where street gangs are, are pretty active, uh, to Joseph Papineau. Um, they call it the bunker. And we got in with, a chef, with chefs and we ran workshops. Uh, it was called Les Ateliers du Frère Tuck at first. And then it worked. And the head of the Montreal School Board gave me a challenge that if I was going to work in, their, in her four baddest and meanest high school, 
she was going to support me. And so I won the challenge. She then got me to scale to 10 schools. And then we went to the South Shore of Montreal and we scaled this program. Uh, we got fundings and then we got IGA and Sobase to be behind us as their major partner. And we now are in 250 high schools in Quebec. And we're in 50-some high schools across Canada and six other Canadian provinces. As we wrap this up, and I know this might be a tough question for you, but you know your mom's with you. What would you say to her and what would she say to you? We wouldn't say anything. I think we would just uh, enjoy the moment and hug each other and, and just cook together. What I would like to have in that room is all my children. And my wife, because she's, she's never met her. I always end my shows with my three takeaways. And I use this word at the highest level where it's thrown around so often in society. I use it with someone like a Terry Fox, and I use it with you. You are a hero. And you're a hero with humility, with grace. You've put a real dent in the universe. And I think it's so important that we share stories like yours to people, especially today where we're feeling such impossibility that there's always possibility. One of the greatest examples, the pandemic hits, the kitchens close, and you find a way to open those kitchens. The second thing is your dream came from, a lot of people's dream, I want to be rich, I want to be wealthy, I, I want to be, I want to fly in private jets. Your pain was food going into the garbage, and you couldn't step in and take that disease from your mom. And both of those manifested in saying, I'm going to do something about it. We should listen to people when they have dreams sometimes, or when they're in their darkest parts of their life, that there is an opportunity to burn that letter and to move forward. And I think the last thing is that the reason why you're so magnetic is you have a higher purpose. You never stop looking at this desired outcome, which is I'm going to take the in out of food insecurity. Uh, I'm going to take the un out of today's economic uncertainty. And I think that's something that we should celebrate. And I am so happy you burnt that letter versus your life and you're with us today. And I can only imagine what you're going to do for Canada and for the world for decades to come. So thank uh, you so much for being part uh, of this. Tony, I, I understand. And I hated the word hero because for yeah. me, I have a team of 45 now working uh, on this with us. And there's so many people on the front line and they should be supported. I always encourage people to look in their own community first and, there's, you'll find those, those, those really heroes, the, the frontline workers on food security, I mean. They're supporting local shelters. They're elderly people retiring and going to help to prep meals for, for the local school or uh, prep uh, snacks. We need to foster that and we need to celebrate that on the local basis. I'm like coming to encourage them to not stop because our social net, safety net, is so thin. I'm scared. That if we don't celebrate these people and we don't give them a break, our country is going to suffer. I think we have to be careful and not take for granted the social safety net and all the people that support it. So let's have a round of applause for those frontline workers and for JF. I can't believe how many Canadians are living paycheck to paycheck or without a paycheck, relying on social assistance and food banks or the generosity of friends and family, and a growing number without a roof over their heads. I can't imagine the stress that comes with having to choose between the essentials in life. Do I heat my home, food for my table, clothes, 
Can I find a better life or a safer place for my children to live? And that's why I'm such a fan of people like J.F. Archambault, La Table de Chef, Laurie Nickel from Second Harvest, and all the others out there who do so much to hold together a social net, who make a difference and counter this rising demand, who donate their time, their money, and their food. And in JF's case, leaving a promising career to turn his dream into reality. I also want to thank RBC for doing their part to help. They've just created My Money Matters. RBC knows firsthand what it means when their clients live with daily uncertainty, insecurity, and fear, all of which can manifest into stress, anxiety, and worse, mental and physical health issues. And we're seeing with people of all ages, especially young males, they're dropping out altogether as their situation feels like wet cement's pouring daily onto their path in life. So what does My Money Matters? I guess it's a hub where people can find articles and resources to help. There's no magic wand, but I think you can take away some of that insecurity and uncertainty by firming up where you stand. They've got ideas to help you with your debt and take away stress. A section on how to turn aspirations into goals, how to plan for life events, and even a money academy to build your financial literacy. And the other thing they encourage you to do is to reach out to your financial advisor, wherever you bank, because they're free and they can help. And when you come to My Money Matters, there's no cost, there's no need to surrender data or to be an RBC client. They're just one of many doing their part in a world upside down where people need a hand up versus a handout. Chatter That Matters has been a presentation of RBC. It's Tony Chapman. Thanks for listening and let's chat soon.